Hey, it's Max. Most of the people listening to these podcasts don't actually know me in person, but if you were to see me walking out on the street, you would almost surely see me holding a blue water bottle. And on that water bottle, you will see a phrase etched into the side. No mud, no lotus. This phrase has been a mantra in my life, sustaining multiple years, multiple living situations, multiple relationships, friendships, and I keep coming back to it as a core fundamental rule of life because I think it is so fundamentally combative of human suffering and the suffering of human suffering. So this idea is something that's taught by a Vietnamese um, Zen Buddhist teacher. His name is Thich Nhat Hanh. This is a man who lives in a place called Plum Village that he built in southwest France. This place he gardens, writes, and teaches the art of mindful living. I've gone through a lot of his books, and it seems like he's written like a dozen at least. And he brings up the idea of the lotus flower a lot. It's a metaphor of the contrast between darkness and light, beauty and frightening ugliness, and uh, fundamentally peace and suffering, or happiness and suffering. But he, in addition to a lot of his longer form books, he'll write some little bedside reads where uh, he focuses on this one idea. It's practical, it's applicable, it's digestible. And I keep this book called No Mud, No Lotus, The Art of Transforming Suffering, by my bed, wherever I stay. I bring it with me when I travel. I got it when I was still living in Geneva, Illinois. I've brought it with me to Ann Arbor, living in multiple apartments, and it has great rereadability quality. I never fail to get something new out of it. And I wanted to share some of the ideas that I think are most impactful and inspiring. Um, I'll read some passages, give my thoughts on them. So here's the introduction. <clears throat> we all want to be happy, and there are many books and teachers in the world that try to make people happier, yet we all continue to suffer. Therefore, we may think that we're doing it wrong. Somehow we are failing at happiness, but that isn't true. Being able to enjoy happiness doesn't require that we have zero suffering. In fact, the art of happiness is also the art of suffering well. When we learn to acknowledge, embrace, and understand our suffering, we suffer much less. Not only that, but we're also able to go further and transform our suffering into understanding, compassion, and joy for ourselves and others. One of the most difficult things for us to accept is that there is no realm where there's only happiness and there's no suffering. This doesn't mean that we should despair. Suffering can be transformed. As soon as we open our mouth to say suffering, we know that the opposite of suffering is already there as well. Where there is suffering, there is happiness. According to the creation story in the biblical book of Genesis, God said, let there be light. I like to imagine that light replied, saying, but God, I have to wait for my twin brother, darkness, to be with me. I can't be there without the darkness. So God asked, why do you need to wait? Darkness is there. Light answered, in that case, then I am also already there. If we focus exclusively on pursuing happiness, we may regard suffering as something to be ignored or resisted. We think of it as something that gets in the way of happiness. But the art of suffering is also, and at the same time, the art of knowing how to suffer well. If we know how to use our suffering, we can transform it and suffer much less. Knowing how to suffer well is essential to realizing true happiness. So, hmm. so this is 
the idea in its simplest form. When you are suffering, say, I woke up this morning with a pounding headache, a cramp in my leg, I'm tired, my mouth is dry, I have morning breath, I stubbed my toe on the bed frame. All of these things are not pleasant. I wouldn't want to experience these things. I wouldn't want other people to experience these things. But even when I recognize that it is unpleasant and these experiences are suffering, I can derive at least some happiness from realizing that all of these things have occurred to me. They have occurred in the past. I have noticed them. I have uh, maybe learned from them. And most of all, I can say, I have suffered, therefore, I may experience happiness in contradiction to that suffering. I would never feel happy if I've never suffered. If I've never been depressed, I could never be. If I've never been bored, I could never be excited. If I've never hated, I could never love. If I've never been hurt, I could never care. Cold air can be painful if you aren't wearing warm enough clothes, but when you're feeling overheated or you're walking outside with proper clothing, cold air can be painful if you aren't wearing enough warm clothes, but when you're feeling overheated or you're walking outside with proper clothing, the bracing sensation of cold air can be a source of feeling joy and aliveness. So suffering isn't some kind of external, objective source of oppression and pain. There might be things that cause you to suffer, such as loud music or bright lights, which may bring other people joy. There are things that bring you joy that annoy other people. The rainy day that ruins your plans for a picnic is a boon for the farmer whose field is parched. I've heard it said that eggs harden in boiling water and potatoes soften. You can't control whether you are a potato or an egg, but you can control what situation you're in. You can control and find yourself to be in a situation where it's better to be hard or it's better to be soft depending on what your nature is and what you observe about yourself. So, no mud, no lotus. Let's talk about this a little bit more. The Let's talk about the organic nature of the lotus. Both suffering and happiness are of an organic nature, which means they are both transitory. They're always changing. The flower, when it wilts, becomes the compost. The compost can help grow a flower again. Happiness is also organic and impermanent by nature. It can become suffering, and suffering can become happiness again. If you look deeply into a flower, you see that a flower is made only of non-flower elements. In that flower, there is a cloud. Of course, we know that a cloud isn't a flower. But without a cloud, a flower can't be. If there's no cloud, there's no rain, and no flower can grow. You don't have to be a dreamer to see a cloud floating in a flower. It's really there. Sunlight is also there. Sunlight isn't flower, but without sunlight, no flower is possible. If we continue to look deeply into the flower, we may see many other things, like the earth and the minerals. Without them, a flower cannot be. So it's a fact that flower is made only of non-flower elements. A flower can't be by herself alone. A flower can only interbe with everything else. You can't remove the sunlight, the soil, the cloud from the flower. I really like this word, interbe. It's a word meant to replace the simple be, signifying that nothing can just be something. A glass cannot be empty. It has to be empty of something. If it's empty of water, that's full of air. Therefore, every being is interconnected with every other being. You can't have a singular be, so you cannot be anything other than inter. Back to the book. In each of our Plum Village practice centers around the world, we have a lotus pond. Everyone knows we need to have mud for lotuses to grow. The 
Mud doesn't smell so good, but the lotus flower smells very good. If you don't have mud, the lotus won't manifest. You can't grow lotus flowers on marble. Without mud, there can be no lotus. It is possible, of course, to get stuck in the mud of life. It's easy enough to notice mud all over you at times. The hardest thing to practice is not allowing yourself to be overwhelmed by despair. When you're overwhelmed by despair, all you can see is suffering everywhere you look. You feel as if the worst thing is happening to you. But we must remember that suffering is a kind of mud that we need to clear in order to generate joy and happiness. Without suffering, there's no happiness. So we shouldn't discriminate against the mud. We have to learn how to embrace and cradle our own suffering and the suffering of the world with a lot of tenderness. When I lived in Vietnam during the war, it was difficult to see our way through that dark and heavy mud. It seemed like the destruction would go on and on forever. Every day people would ask me if I thought the war would end soon. It was a very difficult question to answer because there was no end in sight. But I knew if I said I don't know that but I knew that if I said I don't know, that would only water their seeds of despair. So when people asked me that question, I replied, Everything is impermanent, even war. It will end someday, knowing that we could continue to work for peace, and indeed the war did end. Now the former mortal enemies are busily trading and touring back and forth, and people throughout the world enjoy practicing our traditions, teachings on mindfulness and peace. If you know how to make good use of the mud, you can grow beautiful lotuses. If you know how to make good use of suffering, you can produce happiness. We do need some suffering to make happiness possible. And most of us have enough suffering inside and around us to be able to do that. We don't have to create more. So we know Tihan is a mindfulness. And a lot of the tradition of mindfulness comes from Buddhism. And there are a lot of teachings that came directly from Buddha and writings about the Buddha. And naturally, people had questions about how the Buddha interacted and managed suffering. So did the Buddha suffer? Nanhan says, When I was a young monk, I believed that the Buddha didn't suffer once he had become enlightened. Naively, I asked myself, What's the use of becoming a Buddha if you continue to suffer? The Buddha did suffer, as he had a body, feelings, and perceptions, like all of us. Sometimes he probably had a headache. Sometimes he suffered from rheumatism. If he happened to eat something not well cooked, then he had intestinal problems. So, he suffered physically, and he suffered emotionally as well. When one of his beloved students died, he suffered. How can you not suffer when a dear friend has just died? The Buddha wasn't a stone, he was a human being. But because he had a lot of insight, wisdom, and compassion, he knew how to suffer, and so he suffered much less. The very first teaching the Buddha gave after his enlightenment was about suffering. These are called the Four Noble Truths. The Buddha's Four Noble Truths are, there is suffering, there is a course of action that generates suffering, suffering ceases, meaning there is happiness, and there is a course of action leading to and there is a course of action leading to the cessation of suffering, which is the arising of happiness. When you first hear that suffering is a noble truth, you might wonder, what's so noble about suffering? The Buddha was only saying that if we recognize suffering and we embrace it and look deeply into its roots, then we'll be able to let go of the habits that feed it and at the same time find a way to happiness. Suffering has its beneficial aspects. It can be an excellent teacher. So now I'll put this book down and talk a little bit about how this has applied to my life, what I've noticed. So there's a lot of talk here about the dichotomy between suffering and happiness. And I think that also it, it's important to recognize that all experiences happen on a timeline. All suffering and happiness that you've experienced is in the past and all suffering and happiness you may experience is in the future. And in every moment 
You are in the present, the eternal present moment. So you have an option to regret past suffering, long for past happiness, fear future suffering, or be envious of not experiencing future happiness. You have those options, or you have the option to exist only in the present moment, taking lessons learned from the past, not regretting or judging yourself for them, or talking yourself down for having had those experiences, instead living only in the present moment, recognizing what is around you, noticing your breathing, breathe in, I breathe out, I see a bird, I see a leaf, I see a very yummy burrito bowl in front of me on my desk that I'm going to eat after this podcast is over. All of these things. There are maybe not things that bring happiness in life, but there are things that have infinite complexity. And if you look at that complexity and appreciate it, you realize that there's always something to appreciate in the present moment. Even looking at your hand, you can see the entire universe. You did not come from nothing. You came from space, you came from asteroid, the ground, and your family, your great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, birds, and fishes, and fish, and water. You are all of these things, and you can recognize that by simply looking at your hand. So that's been a good reminder. When I'm overwhelmed by the simplicity of life, or the futility, or despair, I can always look at my hand and realize the world is infinitely complex, possibilities are infinitely endless, my future is infinitely unpredictable. I have no reason to believe that suffering will last forever, and I have no reason to believe that happiness will never appear again. I have no reason to believe that my suffering will diminish any future happiness. I have no reason to believe that my suffering makes me a worse person, less worthy of happiness or bringing happiness to others. I recognize we are all cut from the same cloth, we are all made of the same things, we are all infinite, everything, and good, fundamental, I think. You know, that doesn't just go for hands, that goes for anything. It goes for a speck of dust. The whole universe is in a speck of dust. Maybe more concretely, the whole supply chain is in your laptop. And how thankful, how thankful are you for the farmer who grew your coffee, and the grinder who prepared it, and the barista who paper manufacturer who made your cup, and the builder who made the coffee house that you're standing. There are a lot of opportunities to be thankful and gracious. I say often, you or I did not deserve to wake up this morning. Waking up was a gift given to you by 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 life, by nature. And as with any gift, you should feel a sense of gratitude. If you wake up and and regret yesterday or fear for fear for your afternoon you're not experiencing life, you're fearing it. You have been gifted the incredible gift of waking up this morning, and you can do whatever you want with the rest of the day. And that's beautiful. And I think that's fulfilling and, and is, a, is a great way to stop the runaway train of suffering and maybe even cease it and find some happiness in your day. Enjoy a little thing like a cup of coffee, taking a shower, washing your hands with your favorite soap, reading a book that you keep on your bedside table, written by your favorite Vietnamese mindfulness teacher. And with that, I'll call this episode over. Um, thank you so much for listening. I had a great time talking. I hope to um, start doing these uh, podcasts on a weekly basis. Um, I plan to release them on Sunday or early in the week. Uh, today's Tuesday. I will um, most likely release this episode later today. You can find every episode at my website, mwalts.com. That's mwalts.com. 
So yeah, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great day. Uh, God bless and peace out.